spreading Cajun across the nation, pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review, made by the fans for the fans. Cajun Nation, welcome in to a brand new edition of Ragin' Review. Matt Miguez here. Jerry Bear, Man About Town, Josh Jagno joined me. You know, normally on a Tuesday night, we would bring you the recap of the previous game and a preview of the future game. We'll save that for a later date. We have bigger and better things to bring you tonight. Uh, we have a very special guest joining us for a very interesting and entertaining interview. Mr. Jerry Bear. You are you are a good friend of our special guest, so why don't you uh, why don't you take it away? Yeah, thanks, Matt. What's up, Cajun Nation? Tonight we have a really special guest. Like Matt said, his name is Mr. Rick Jones, and Rick is the captain and chief creative officer of Fishbait Solutions, which is a sports entertainment and marketing agency. I believe uh, you were based out of Charleston, South Carolina, correct? Correct. Uh, we're actually a virtual agency with staff in about 11 states right now but I, I live on an island off the coast of charleston very nice so with that said uh rick is also a serial entrepreneur having founded and grown numerous agencies focused on sponsorship and fan engagement while fish bait celebrates its 19th anniversary in the year 2021 rick is also known as one of the best sponsorship idea generators in the business today and combines emphatic and consumer insights with crisp empirical data his clients have included mastercard international numerous olympic games sponsors the v foundation bank of america and in bold letters as we will talk about tonight one of rick's bigger clients includes espn as well as dozens of others uh, rick's also highly sought after public speaker and writer and enjoys t talking sports which is why he's here with us tonight at Rage and Review. And also, Rick has worked with the University of Louisiana on the promotion of marketing ideas as well. So, um, Rick, real quickly, before we start, now, I have to, I remember you telling me this uh, privately, but there's a fun fact I have to tell our fans. Uh, talk about the time you gave that speech at Missouri. Uh, it's a very interesting story. Uh, you were able to come up with a certain phrase that I think a lot of sports fans would understand. Uh, what is that phrase exactly with Missouri? Well, I'll give you a little background. You know, ultimately the road to, to Louisiana for me really started at, at Missouri. Um, Mike Alden, the athletic director, I, uh, I had done some, a lot of work for the collegiate licensing company, Bill Battles company in Atlanta and uh, CLC, uh, uh, Mizzou helped um, helped CLC win the Kansas business, and as a thank you, they sent me out to do a an all day workshop on branding. And I remember I wrote a a speech called uh, "Mizzou Is or Mizzou Ain't My Tiger," and uh, I, I I came in and said, are, "Are you the Auburn Tigers, the Clemson Tigers, the LSU Tigers? Are you the Missouri, Missouri, Missouri?" Uh, and I said, you know, what you are is Mizzou. And, and that kind of led to the, the great all things Mizzou campaign. And I was fortunate to um, work on that campaign with them. And then later came back and, and did an audit 
uh, for them, and then later worked with them on the transition from the Big 12 uh, to the Southeastern Conference, which is another great story. They they brought me in to talk about what the brand, uh, how the brand and the fan base was going to react when they left the Big 12 to go to the Big 10, because they were anticipating being invited to the Big 10. And and so my assignment was, if we accept to go to the Big Ten, what does that mean? And if we decline the Big Ten, what does that mean? And, and I said, hey, hey, whoa, 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 what if you don't get invited to the Big Ten? And, and they laughed at me. I mean, they literally laughed at me. Uh, Brady Deaton was the president of the university at the time. He was in the room. He belly laughed and, and uh, Alden laughed and everybody laughed at me. And I said, well, look, just to humor me, I'm going to go down the third path what the hell happens if you don't get invited to the big 12? I mean, to the big 10 and then lo and behold, they didn't Nebraska did. Well, the good news is we had another path and that path was South was looking to Birmingham and to the Southeastern conference. And, and ultimately they got that them there, but, and then that led um, me to, to UL uh, because Mike Alden was hired to do a, a study on the athletic department and, uh, and Mike persuaded the university to make part of that team and led me for my first, first project, first of three projects I did I've done down there in, uh, in Cajun country. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's perfect because you, so you, your relationship with Mike Alden, when he did what we call the Alden report uh, for the university of Louisiana athletic department, you are a part of that project. Um, talk a little bit about that, uh, your experience, talk a little bit about when you came to Lafayette, what were your impressions of the Acadiana region, the culture down here? Um, you know, you, you got to see the university both academically and athletically, um, overall, what was your impression of this, of this community down here in Lafayette? Well, culturally you're an outlier. I mean, you're unlike anything I've ever seen. I, I, I compared your fan base to the Green Bay Packers. Um, you know, there's no reason that the NFL would ever have a team in Green Bay, Wisconsin. It makes no sense. Um, and yet they did because back in the 1920s, there was a meat packing company that was the first sponsor of a professional football team in that region. And the fans are, are so unique. I think you're just such a unique culture. Um, and I think there's just nothing but upside for the raging Cajuns going forward. I just fell in love with the people. I fell in love with the food. I fell in love with the lifestyle. I like the music. I was uh, in a great position to look at, at your brand and, and, and how to enhance the brand as part of that study that, that, that Mike was chairing. And I really did two things. I tried to look at everything that I thought was marketable, saleable, not only internally, but externally, you know, We've always said that, you know, your tagline really is you've never lost a party. Uh, and, you know, fans like to come to Lafayette. Visiting fans like to come to Lafayette because it's a great time. And um, and so we not only looked at, at ways to do things with your own fan base, but how to be attractive to, to other fans in a way that potentially might lead to expansion uh, or, or looking at a different conference or growing. And we did a comparative study during that. I looked at three other schools. Uh, one was Louisville. Uh, people for, have forgetting, forgotten this. Louisville was in the Missouri Valley Conference and was an afterthought in the state of Kentucky. You know, big blue nation just dwarfed uh, Louisville. 
Uh, but they had a migration strategy. And if you may remember, they went from the Missouri Valley Conference to the Metro Conference to the Big East and ultimately to the Atlantic Coast Conference. The other one uh, that I benchmarked was um, one of the others I benchmarked was um, Virginia Tech. They were called VPI, Virginia Polytechnical Institute. Virginia would not play them in anything, look down on them. They did a similar migration strategy. They had been in the old Southern Conference and then migrated again to the Metro, to the Big East, and then to the Atlantic Coast Conference. And I felt like UL had a chance to do something similar along those lines. You look at the million people in the greater Acadiana region, you look at the fact that on I-10, you're the halfway point between New Orleans and Houston. Um, there were just a lot of geographical reasons I, I thought uh, UL could could rise in stature. And uh, But I thought the uniqueness of the culture, there's no other place like Acadiana. Um, and that uniqueness, again, I think is very, very appealing. I, I'm looking forward to the day when ESPN's college football game day comes to Lafayette. Um, I, I really am. Um, you know, we, uh, the, the CEO of my agency, Rob Temple, was the guy at ESPN who originally sold the Home Depot, that sponsorship, now 19 years ago. Uh, if you know anything about game day, it was a studio show that was sponsored by discover card and they would occasionally take it on the road. And there was a lot of issues with it. Um, discover card didn't sign all the talent. They didn't fund things like jumbotrons. They didn't have a bus. And so, you know, Rob went to the executive producer and said, uh, what do you need? He said, well, you know, I could use a set. I'm having to borrow the set. <laughs> Uh, I could use a permanent desk, you know, a set. He said, okay. He said, what else? He said, I, I could use a bus. I mean, something to bring the talent in. I could use a field. I could use jumbotrons because if you've ever been to game day, they don't face the crowd. The crowd is behind them because they're facing the cameras. And, and so if you don't have the jumbotrons, you don't have that kind of interface with the fans, with the talent. And he went to Home Depot and basically convinced them to give him all of it. You know, now in return, they had to, it had to be game day built by the Home Depot and the set had to have Home Depot's logo on it. it had The bus had to be wrapped with the Home, Home Depot, Depot literally everywhere. Correct. Even but with it the was hard a great hat. example. Yeah, exactly. But it was a great example of that. And, you know, some of our favorite places that they've been have been places like the Military Academy or, you know, they, 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 they were at Augusta last year. Remember when the Masters was moved and, and they set up there and, I, I just think one day they're going to come to Lafayette and they're going to eat well and have a great time. And it'll be one of the great, great days in Lafayette. I agree, Rick. Uh, that That's uh, the idea of that happening is, is, I don't know. It's inspiring. Uh, I, and I appreciate somebody from the outside seeing that, seeing the potential that we've always thought was there. We knew was there actually, but uh, I guess my follow-up to the question that you just answered was based on your studies that, you know, you looked at Virginia tech and you looked at Louisville and you looked at these guys from that time. What was that? 2015, 2014, some time frame like that. Yeah, it was, I think it was 2014 was the year that we did it. And uh, I later came back and did another uh, another study kind of of how to, how to improve the the fan engagement uh, activities at the stadium and some things that we recommended. I mean, I'll give you one example. We 
you know, every marching band in America plays the same music. And I said, well, why do y'all play the same music? I mean, you, you got this amazing Cajun culture. Why do you play Cajun music? And sure enough, a few years ago, at, at, on a Thursday night game against Appalachian State, the band brought out Wayne Toots and, and they, they played Cajun music. And, you know, this was the era where you could leave at halftime and go out to your car and get a beer and come back into the stands. And nobody left because it was so authentic. And uh, so we talked about authenticity and doing those kinds of things. But I looked at it this way. Clearly, in my opinion, the, the university is the number two institution in the state. And there's not a close third, you know, and they may argue tech, you know, but I've been to Ruston. You know, we have a joke about, you know, first prize is one night in Ruston and second prize is two nights in Ruston. Oh, God. So, uh, you know, oh, but, man. you speak into my heart now, man. Yeah, but but clearly, we, we felt like that 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 the university had a chance to be number two to LSU, and that's what Virginia Tech was. They were number two to Virginia, and that's what Louisville was. They were number two to Kentucky. But you have to have a plan to get there. You have to have a migration strategy, and and you know, in the case of both institutions, they had a, a long range plan, and they executed it extremely well in order to get them, you know, both to the Atlantic Coast Conference. Um, and, you know, we're at a really interesting time with um, the world's changing right in front of us. The biggest change is that the traditional distribution model is is over. You know, the traditional, you know, that model is your television. And, and it's television via a third party like ESPN, who is my client. But the truth is we live in a direct to consumer world. And um, I would argue that the amount of money that your university is getting from uh, the Sunbelt television contract is a joke compared to what you could be self doing your, you know, if you can, if you controlled your own media distribution, I think, you know, Rachel Cajun fans would pay $10 a month to, to have, you know, content and, and, and then, you know, you're no longer playing your best game on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night or a Thursday night. You're not playing when you want to, when your fans want to play. I think that model is going to come faster than anything else. And so if you looked at the first round of realignment, it was about grabbing television households in States. And so my friends in the Southeast kept saying, Oh, Clemson and Florida state are going to go to the SEC. And I'm like, they're never going to the SEC. And somebody said, well, why? Because I said, they already own those states. And if you understand the way the television marketplace at that time worked, when you had a new network like the SEC network, in the states with SEC schools, the cable operators paid ESPN about a dollar a household. In fact, I think it was closer to a dollar 40 a household. Out of state, it was 10 cents a household. That's a big difference. And so when the SEC went and got Texas A&M, they got the entire state of Texas. When they went and got Mizzou, they got St. Louis and Kansas City and the entire state of Missouri. And so they added television households with created value in the joint venture. I don't I think the new movement of Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC is not about traditional television rights. I think it's about streaming rights. And ultimately, I, I predict that the Longhorn Network, that was a network funded by ESPN, will become a streaming digital network. And every school in the, in the SEC will have their own streaming network. And at some point, there'll be a balance where there may be one or two major games across networks. 
But at some point, I think you'll you'll have a subscription model. And so I think the size and the passion of your tribe is going to be the most important ingredient going forward. Um, and I think you have a very passionate tribe uh, in a very unique part of the country um, that, that there may be some success with that. Yeah, Rick, you know, we, we like to say that our fan base is, is a good one. Um, if you don't mind, I'd like to go back to the, the TV market conversation. Uh, you know, you mentioned working with ESPN. You also get to see other other net major networks, you know, Fox Sports, CBS Sports, et cetera, kind of adapt more sporting events like ESPN has over the years. With TV contracts coming up for multiple con- conferences in the next couple of years, what's the chances of cross-bidding with other networks? And then a, a second question I have is, you know, everybody says that ESPN makes the final decisions with what programs go where. Is that true? How much how much pull does ESPN really have when it comes to conference realignment? You know, I, I really believe that's a myth. I think, you know, everybody wants to point a finger at somebody else and blame somebody else. I, I think ESPN, now I do know this, they have they had language in their contracts that allowed renegotiations based on if there were realignments, you know, plus or minus, you know, I mean, you, you have to do that. From a, you know, remember, they're a publicly traded company. It's part of the Walt Disney Company. You have to have, you know, certain covenants in your contracts to do that. But I think the idea that, you know, ESPN organized the defection of Texas and Oklahoma, the SEC, I, I think that's a myth. But at the same time, I think they're going to take advantage of it. You know, right now you have the Atlantic Coast Conference has 100% of their rights with ESPN through 2035. Long time. In three years, the CBS 330 window with the SEC goes to ESPN, and then ESPN will have all the rights to the Southeastern Conference. What's going to be fascinating to watch is how Fox plays with the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the, and the Big 12. Um, and and um, I think a, a, a real interesting thing to keep in mind is watching the expansion of the CFP and if they decide that the expanded CFP could allow for two networks to be a part of it, the NFL model, you know, the NFL's got Fox, they got CBS, they got NBC and they got ESPN. They, they got, you know, four different networks um, plus their own network, the NFL channel. Um, and so I'm, I'm really watching to see if that happens. Now, I, I will give you the pluses and the minuses. The, the plus is that, you know, Fox then has skin in the game to want to maybe be a dominant player with the Big Ten or the Pac-12. The minus is, is that, you know, there's only so much money in the marketplace. There are only so many GRPs. And, you know, if you if you got Dr. Prepper and Chick-fil-A and Allstate and Goodyear, you know, are you going to have more money to spend on Fox too? I don't know that you are. Uh, there's a, there is a myth uh, that that there are, are trees of money in television networks offices. Uh, and a lot of people in college athletics think that the networks have more money than God and they don't. Uh, they have to be financially prudent. They have to make money for shareholders. And, you know, you can only spend so much money. Uh, if you're Dr. Pepper, you can only spend so much money. Chick-fil-A, so much money. And and, and just because you expanded doesn't mean that money got bigger. Um, 
And so I think what they're going to have to spend some time doing on the CFP expansion is really looking at the commercial architecture. Does it work for the marketplace in a way that's uh, it's like that? But but ultimately, I think all the networks matter dinosaurs. I mean, they're all dinosaurs. You know, here's what I know about dinosaurs. Uh, they were really big. They didn't know they were dinosaurs and they're really gone. Okay. Um, that's what I think all television networks are. I think they're dinosaurs. I think ultimately the smartphone I have in my hand is going to be the, the primary distribution model for content. Uh, and, and the era of the big television networks, I think is waning. And, um, and ultimately I think any type of, um, sports or entertainment entity is going to have to market directly to their fan base differently. Um, and ESPN is betting on that with ESPN plus, um, you know, they're, they're going to go out and, and show, you know, two Rage and Cajun games a year, but then they're going to stream the rest of them. And I, I like to remind ADs, well, that's your money. You, you gave them your money. Um, but that's where we are right now. Um, and so we're in a transitional period that at some point, I'll give you a great example. I have direct TV. Um, and I buy everything because I, I have a business. I can write it off. So it's tax deduction. So I have every sports channel in America on my TV and I pay a lot. Well, you know, there are probably what 800 channels that I get. I probably watch six, you know, and I'm paying $160 a month or something ridiculous. And, and the six that I'm watching the most are probably getting, you know, collectively $25 of that 160. Well, when I pay $50 to those six and double their revenues, save myself 110 bucks, probably. That's the shift we're going to see. It's an economic model. It's always math. And we'll look at the math shift to say, at what point does it make sense to say to ESPN and others, thank you, but no thank you. I'm going to control my own production. I'm going to control my own content. I'm going to sell it directly to my fan base and I'm going to make more money than you're paying me. Now, now, Rick, um, adding on to that real quickly. Now you've now working in marketing, which conferences just let our fans know the conferences that you've worked with directly when it comes to TV networks, because it seems like every conference now it's whether it's ACC, SAC, PAC 12, the mountain West, they tried it. Then you've got the Longhorn network. What are your experiences like when you meet, whether it's media people, commissioners, what do you tell them? I mean, what, cause, cause in their minds, they have to think, What's the best way to make a profit, right? They, you know, and of well, course, you, the you quality know, of teams. Yeah, and- yeah, I'll start with this. Every commissioner that I know, every network executive that I know, every athletic director I know, I start with the same speech. Fans pay for everything. Everything. The ecosystem only works because fans pay for stuff. If the fans don't watch the games on television, there are no television rights. Fans don't buy licensed merchandise. There's no licensing fees. Fans don't buy tickets. There's no money. If they don't make donations, there's no money. Consumers control everything. And so everybody that I talk to, I talk about how do we make the fan experience better? And it has to be better a couple of ways. One and I, and I have been fortunate to do projects with a lot of a number of the conferences. I've done projects with the Atlantic Coast Conference, with the Southeastern Conference, 
I, I, I'm so old. I did projects with the old Southwest Conference uh, back when that existed. Um, and have done projects with the Big 12. Uh, we were fortunate to take one of our corporate clients, Dollar General, and, and fund a, a, a traveling tour. The first year, the Big 12 had a, 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 brought back their football championship game. And so we were able to go out and promote the fact that the Big 12 was going to have a, a football champ game and have the trophy and do a, a bunch of stuff like that. I was fortunate to do the 75th anniversary campaign for the Southeastern Conference. I was fortunate to sell sponsorships for, for the Atlantic Coast Conference. So, uh, you know, I've been involved in a number of, of those and, I'm, and I worked, you know, for a big TV network in ESPN and ESPN events. Uh, and, but it all goes back to the same thing. What do we, what can we do to make it better for the fan? Um, let me tell you where I was wrong this year. I, I really, I went on record as saying, I wasn't sure that my generation was going to come back to games. Couple of factors. One, you know, we spent last year, I have a good friend who called it his red shirt year. He couldn't go because of the limited number of fans, but he, you know, upgraded his man cave and had a bigger TV and more amenities and, and it kind of liked it. Secondly, this Delta variant hasn't gone away. I'm in I'm a, I'm a great example of a guy that was kind of cocky and arrogant and said, I had the vaccine. I'm bulletproof. Well, I got COVID and I got sick and, and I felt like a lot of my generation would be fearful of that. I also thought there was some social backlash coming. Without getting into politics, I thought NIL, you mean we're going to pay these players? I mean, it's not good enough to just have a scholarship. Transfer a portal, you mean they can just leave me and after their freshman year and go play for my biggest competitor? Some of the social issues, uh, taking a knee during a, you know, a, 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 a playing the national anthem. I thought a number of baby boomers would reject college sports this year. I was totally wrong. We love it too damn much. They're back in force. They're back between the forties and they're doing that. But here's the problem with having a fan base made up largely of baby boomers like me. We're going to die. And, and then what's the next generation going to do? And I don't think the next, the, the previous generation, y'all are a bunch of young guys I don't know that your generation loved it, loves it as much as my generation did. And, 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 and so our consumption of habits going to change. And so you better pay attention. I'll give you one great example of this. We did a study a few years ago at an institution in Florida and we found they were not getting millennials to come to the football game. Okay. I had to dive deeper into why not. And well, it turned out that the biggest reason they weren't coming is that, there was no child care. This was a, a fan base that in many cases had been displaced from parents. You know, it used to be grandma and granddaddy to take care of the kids and you'd go to a game. That wasn't happening. You know, Susie would love to go to the game and see her sorority sisters, but, you know, she's got a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and um, that's not a great experience on game day. We convinced them to offer game day daycare. And suddenly the millennials were there in full and the young kids got to go, you know, to a daycare center that was bonded and early childhood majors got academic credit for being part of that. You could watch, you know, Susie could watch her daughter sleep, take a nap on her smartphone. Um, you know, they could meet the, the mascot and color coloring books and do face paintings and have a, a big experience. There's, there's also 
studies that if you expose your child to a team organization before they're age five, it overlays an indelible mark in their brain and they'll always be a fan of that team. It may not be the school they choose to go to, but there'll always be a something unique about that team in the mind of that child. And so, you know, this was a great example of get your children involved and then let them go have a decent, you know, daycare experience while you have a Bloody Mary and enjoy time with your friends. So I think we have to look at the fan differently than we've ever looked at them before. Um, and the same thing with, you know, my client ESPN there, you know, what's, you know, one of the cool things this year is Monday night football on, you know, ESPN has got the game and ESPN two has got the game with Peyton and Eli. Um, which you is, know, so which we're serving the, the Peyton and Eli broadcast has just been phenomenal. Yeah. Remember what the NFL did with uh, Nickelodeon last year? I mean, uh, and so, again, we're, we're realizing one size does not fit all. You've got to segment your audience. You've got to bring each member of the audience value. And so long, long, long-winded answer, Gerald, to your question, but it's it, literally everybody I work with, I come at it as a fan anthropologist, or what I call a fanthropologist. I'm looking at your brand through the eyes of a fan. And that fan may be four years old. And that's a different view than a 14-year-old's view, than a 24-year-old's view, than a 40-year-old's view, than a 68-year-old view. You better I, look I, at it from all those views. That's well said. And I think this generation of fan is a completely unique animal. I got a real quick follow-up. Do you feel like the childcare issue is nationwide or do you think it's regional? And when you studied our fan base, did you see a marked generational gap in how we were promoting to those demographics? Uh, just curious about that specific to our school and if it is also nationwide. Well, that's a great question. You know, one of the first things I discovered when I came to Lafayette is you had no Gen Xers. And the reason you had no Gen Xers, you during their formative early years of, of, um, of career building, you had we were a terrible. major... You had a, you had a, no, no, but you had a, in the city, you had a major oil crisis. There were no, there was no jobs, no money. And so, and so you had about a 15 year gap. You had a bunch of people leave Lafayette because there was no work. And, and so you had a really unique culture that you had a whole lot of baby boomers and a whole lot of millennials. And I found that a lot of the millennials were the, were the leaders in the marketplace. And, and so, you, you know, the second thing is family is so fundamental to the Canadian culture. And so one of the things that I love about coming to a game is watching all the kids on the hill. I mean, you can bring them into an environment and say, y'all go have a good time, roll down the hill, hang out with your buddies. That, 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 that's a unique kind of situation. Other yeah, places kind of don't have that. Yeah. It kind of dovetails into your point about the childcare. The hill kind of does the sitting for us. It, it is your daycare center. I mean, and, 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 and so it makes me want to think, why doesn't everybody else emulate that? I mean, you know, why didn't everybody else build a facility? But they won't or don't. And so you've got to solve the problem a different way. Um, and, and so, you know, that's part of it. Um, and, um, and so I felt like, you know, you're, you're a young city with a lot of young people and so you, your best days are ahead of you, not behind you. 
you know, compared to some other university towns and universities that I feel like maybe their best days were behind them and not ahead of them Rustin. just because of, you know, societal trends, um, demographical trends, transient places. Look, people are moving South, you know, people, you know, people are tired of being cold. Um, people are tired of being overtaxed. Uh, people are tired of, uh, you know, a lot of factors that are driving them to largely Sunbelt cities and Sunbelt places. I think the other thing is we saw through COVID, a lot of people said, I really want to live in a big, big city. Yeah, I'm not so sure I want to raise my kids in a big city. I want to have big city attributes, big city sports, big city restaurants, big city healthcare, but I don't want to live, you know, on the 19th floor of a apartment complex or a condominium complex. I want to go where the grass is green and, and, you know, there are rivers and there are places my kids can run and play. I think that bodes well for Lafayette. The other trend I'm seeing is uh, my, a lot of my generation wants to retire to college towns. They're not going to, you know, to the, these retirement communities in Arizona and Florida because baby boomers, you know, think they're still young, think young. And you come back to a college campus, you, you surround yourself with young people, you surround yourself with great health care with academics. Coach Vince Dooley is one of my heroes. Coach Dooley took a class every spring the entire time he was at Georgia because he could. So he has like a degree in agronomy and another degree in military history and another degree in leadership. Um, and I think you're seeing a lot of young people come back to towns like Lafayette and say, I can, I can take class. Um, and, and, and that can be fun because, uh, you know, as Jimmy Buffett so eloquently wrote, we're all growing older, but not up. So uh, it's uh, it's good to, to do that. So you've got that unique combination of vibrant baby boomers wanting to come back to Lafayette and that young generation that's going to come through in a big, big way. The other thing nobody's paying attention to is the population dip. I think y'all are seeing it in Louisiana. You have fewer teenagers than ever before. And so, you know, freshman enrollment is down a little bit at, at, at UL. Well, look west, go to Texas, recruit students from Texas to come to Lafayette. A, it may be less costly than to go to a state school in Texas and you get a great education. If you want to go to nursing school or an engineering school or all the things that you have at the university right now, what a great, great time to be there. Um, and so I think you can, you can focus on that, but what, what's going to happen is you're going to see a lot of what I call Northern liberal arts schools go out of business because a, they're liberal arts, which it's hard to find a job with a liberal arts degree. And secondly, this population uh, dip, um, is going to cause fewer people to be there. So we'll watch that very, very carefully to, to see what happens there. Rick Jones is our guest, Rick. One, I want to make one comment on the the age conversation we were just having before I move on to my next topic. Um, and, you know, it's funny. This, this topic always seems to come up at some point in a Rage Interview episode. I am the youngest of the four of us currently, and it, it's not really even close. Um, I'm actually still a student at UL. And, you know, you talk about how the, the young generation in Lafayette will – show up as a, as a fan base. And I hope you're right because from my time at UL, what I have seen from my fellow classmates is halfway through the second quarter, everybody gets up and says, let's go to the bar. 
So I hope that changes because that has always annoyed the you know what out of me. But my question is, you know, we were talking about streaming a second ago um, with ESPN Plus, you know, streaming cable now with YouTube TV, Hulu Live, etc. It's a lot easier to catch a game at home. Because I can remember before the ESPN Plus deal, you got one or two primetime games a year, and then the other 10, you had to be at Cajun Field to catch them. So my, my, my question, I guess, is how much of a game changer is has streaming become for conferences, and how is it impacting revenues for, for universities? Well, Matt, I'm so old. I remember when the NCA would only allow one college football game to be broadcast a week. And you were as a school only allowed to appear on TV once a year. Wait, wait a second. Only one game a week, one game a week. Oh, my, my poor heart would have died. I'd have died legally, legally Mm-mm, one game died. a week. And Texas could only be on once and Oklahoma once and Alabama once and Ohio state once. Georgia and Oklahoma sued the NCA in 1982 as a restraint of trade. And the reason the NCA said they did that was because if their games were on TV, nobody would come to the games. Okay. So we've been talking about that for a long time. The difference is right now, the games, live games have to be more than games. I can get the game and a better game experience on my big screen TV. I see instant replay. I can run it back. I can have all kinds of camera angles. Again, I may have the mega cast where I can go listen to Peyton and Eli tell me instead of being there. The key is we've got to say the game experience is an experience. And we've got to create can't miss moments. And when we have can't miss moments for students, then they'll stay. And this is not just a trend at UL. I mean, Nick Saban complains all the time in Alabama that students get up and leave when they have a lead. At the same time, I have a client, Penn State, who their student body is the best I've ever seen. I mean, they show they camp out, they show up, they 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 just are amazing. And part of it is it's part of the tradition there. And so when you're you come there as a freshman, you know this is going to be part of your experience over four years. You're going to come to games. And um and so I think there, there's still work to be done, but you have to work at it all the time. You know, the other thing that's hurting us is the lack of connectivity. If you can't be connected, if you can't get a signal, if you can't get broadband, you, you, you're going to leave. And so we're going to have to work out some technology um, issues in order to make sure that that generation can be ever connected. Um, but, you know, you just got to do different things. I mean, one of the things I would do is I would, if I was Billy Napier, I'd say, oh, by the way, to the students, at the end of this game, anybody who's left here, I'm feeding them free pizza. You're not getting the pizza until the game's over, but I'm going to feed you free pizza. You know, and, and say, wow, that was pretty cool. This coach wanted me to stay the whole game and was willing to, you know, to give me a slice of pizza to be able to do that. So, again, there are a million different ways to try to do it. It's easy to say. It's not easy to do. It's hard. I have a saying, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Um, 
I'm, I'm a big believer that everything worthwhile in life is hard. It's uphill every day. And it's the same with sport and sports marketing. It's hard, but get over it. But, you know, I look at Cajun Field and say, the experience is really good. When they rebuild the stadium, I think it can be better. Um, and I'll give you one example that I, that I promoted. I didn't win the argument. I lose a lot of arguments. The, the athletic department doesn't own the licensing rights um, to the Raging Cajun Marks. The university does. And, and there was someone there that's not there anymore in university licensing who went out and licensed Raging Cajun Beer. Okay. I would have never done that. I would have built a micro brew in my stadium and I would have, I would have brewed Raging Cajun beer in my stadium and seven days a year. It'd be, you could get into it from the stadium and 365 days a year, you can get into it from out of the stadium. I would have turned it into the best sports bar in Lafayette um, and brewed my own Raging Cajun beer. So I, I think you've got to look at, at some differences. I will say this, the one thing that, that your university is, has a wealth of is land. I mean, you're sitting on the intersection of the biggest, you know, two intersections, I think in all of Acadiana, everybody drives by there uh, and you're sitting on a great land and how do you develop the land differently? How do you make it a, a, a an entertainment um, complex beyond the games at Cajun Field, the games at the baseball stadium, the games in the Cajun Dome. How do you how do you make it a 365 day a year entertainment complex? That's what I would do. I'd get into real estate business if I were the president at UL. I would uh, I would be looking to do more things to to blow that up. Um, but we're going to have to market differently. Uh, um, you know, Disney does a great job with children. First time you come to Disney World you're, as a child, they give you a button, my first Disney. And so, you know, you're wearing that button. And so every cast member says, hey, how you doing, Susie? Welcome to Disney. And you know, they fall all over you. We should do that at football games. Take that four-year-old down on the field and show him up on the picture up on the Jumbotron and make a big deal about it and, you know, have them meet the players. And, you know, I mean, I, I just think there's so many things that we can do. That takes two um, seconds cost absolutely nothing and would change yeah. that kid's life. Yeah, it does. I just, I just think that's part of it. You want them to be, you know, fans forever. And, uh, and it starts with that first, uh, you know, that first, uh, involvement, first, uh, touch point, uh, for them. So I, I again, you know, I, I sell for a living is what I really do, but I come at it from a consultant standpoint. What does the fan want? I would never tell a sponsor to do anything that doesn't benefit fans because the only reason a corporate sponsor like the hospital, that's the new title sponsor of the Cajun field. The only reason they're getting married is for the children. It's for the fan base. And, and how do we enhance the fan experience to the point that then they reward me with their medical um, business or they award me with their buying more beer for me or they reward me with more trips to my restaurant or fast food chain or my insurance uh, agency or my investment uh, 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 consultant. So it all comes from that understanding fans and, 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 and being able to do that. Um, you know, it, but it's interesting right now. Um, 
people love college football. They love college basketball. They love college baseball. And we're seeing, you know, next year's the 50th anniversary of Title IX. People are discovering women's college sports at record numbers. Y'all have always had a great softball program there. And I think you're going to continue to see, you know, programs thrive by, by getting after their fan base. I'm getting a crick in my neck from just sitting here nodding to everything you're saying. Literally, I mean, we talk about this on a weekly basis here. So it's great to have someone else that's in the business say it. One thing that always confounded me is that in a, in a social culture like the Cajun culture, why have we not moved to make Cajun Field a social experience? Of course, there are going to be diehard football fans and hardcore uh, sports fans that go to the games. But I think that's like, I don't know, 50% of the people that are there. You got to make it a cool place. One thing, we just went to Hancock Whitney at South Alabama this past weekend, and we saw that they have these bar rails set up in their north end zone, I believe. I thought that's such a brilliant idea. It, it, it gets people together, it gets them talking, gets them socializing. That's something that you look forward to. You, you, you see the game, but you also you get to see, you know, Tom and Brad and see your buddies, you know. I always thought that that was a great idea. Uh, and, and the beer idea is even better. Having access to that field seven days a week, put a restaurant up there, brew your beer up there. I think it's a spectacular idea, but I, have we just not invested in the infrastructure because we were waiting on a, a stadium renovation? Or why do you feel like some of the people in leadership are reticent to, to move on these ideas? Well, I don't want to be critical of anybody because I don't have all the facts. Um, you know, just my personality has been, if it's not broken, break it. I'm, 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 a, I'm a, let's change things all the time. Let's, you know, there's always a better way to do things in a different way. And there are probably financial reasons that you haven't done things. And, you know, you have other priorities and, and you got to pay your bills and you got to do a number of things. I, I'll give you a great thing that nobody seems to be talking about right now is, is in NIL, with name, image, and likeness, if a, if a student athlete earns X amount of dollars, they may not qualify for a Pell Grant. And you think about how many of your scholarship students are on Pell Grants, federally subsidized athletic scholarships. Whew, boy, they earn some amount of money. And then suddenly you're having to pay the full, the full boat. So I think there are a lot of unintended consequences to some of the things that are happening right now. But I'm going to say this. I'm a big Brian Maggard fan. I think Brian's doing a great job. I think he's, you know, I have the luxury of not being there every day. I kind of beam in and out. And every time I beam in, I'm more impressed. You know, I see things that have been, that have changed. When you're in the, the weeds every day, you don't maybe see them. But I come in every, you know, six months or eight months or nine months and kind of pole vault in and go, wow, that's cool. Y'all did this, you did that. and And so... I do think you're making a lot of progress. Um, but um, again, I'm just bullish on the potential there. Bob Knight wrote a book right after the 1976 um, national championship, which is the last college basketball team to go undefeated. Um, he wrote a book called Success is Performing to the Limits of Your Potential. And I, I love that definition of success. It doesn't measure you against anybody but you. Success is about your potential and the limits of your potential. I, I don't think y'all are scratching the surface yet of your potential down there. And that's pretty good. That's a good place to be. 
but it needs people like y'all, you know, being apostles, spreading the gospel, trying to get more people in, interested, more people that'll step up, more people that'll say, I'll, I'll take that on. I'll do this. I'll do that. Because administration can't do it by themselves. Billy Napier can't do it by himself. It takes a village. It takes, it takes a team. It takes a tribe. And all members of the tribe need to say, how do I make you well better? How do I make the experience better? How do I invite one more person to Cajun Field? How do I make sure they have a great time? You know, that's what's going to happen to make to make the ultimate success. Rick Jones, our guest tonight. Rick, thank you so much for taking the time. But I, we, we have to get into a very important topic. I think it's almost like the, the T-bone stake of the conversation. Uh, some people call it the wild, wild west. I call it musical chairs. Let's just call it conference realignment. Lots going on right now over the summer. I think everybody was kind of shocked whenever, you know, out of out of the blue, when Texas and Oklahoma announced that they are officially leaving the Big 12 to go to the SEC. And of course, that's caused basically a domino effect. Um, now the American has gotten poached by three teams to go to the Big 12 to replace Texas and Oklahoma. BYU has announced they're going to the Big 12. Uh, right now, there's talks of the American not knowing what to do next. Um and so from what we're seeing right now at this moment, um, there's rumors of Memphis waiting for a phone call to the Big 12. That's if the Big 12 expands. There's rumors of the Pac-12 expanding. There's rumors of the Mountain West poaching teams from the East into a different time zone. What, what's going on here, Rick? Help us out. Educate us. Uh, what, what is it looking like at the moment? I think there's a fear factor that there are only so many trains that are going to pull up to your, um, your station and you, you don't want to find out you're at the station and there are no more trains. I, 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 I do think people are overreacting because you have to, you know, you don't want to be in a position where you get left behind. Um, you know, Gerald, I'll tell you this. I, I, I get up every day and have my finger on the pulse of college athletics because it's my business. I did not see Texas and Oklahoma coming. That one, I didn't see it. Now, looking back on it now, I go, well, it makes a lot of sense. And it really makes a lot of sense for a couple of reasons. One, if we do expand the CFP to 12 teams, the SEC's probably going to get three. And so financially, it's going to make a lot of sense. Secondly, if we're going to go to a direct-to-consumer model for content on a subscription base, hey, there are no two more passionate fan bases than Texas and Oklahoma. I mean, they're, they're just unbelievably um, – their tribes are unbelievable. Um, and so it made a lot of sense. But then you've got, you know, my friend Bob Bowlesby sitting there. You know, what do you do? you got eight teams left. And, and you know, at that point, you don't want to be left out. I think also, if you remember right in the middle of that, three other conferences came together with the alliance. And the Big 12 was not in the alliance. And so what did that mean? And so I think that, that that they made a move. Remember a few years ago, they had, they had dated a whole bunch of schools under the idea that they might expand and then said, never mind, uh, you know, pulled a Rosanna, Rosanna, Dana, uh, and just said, never mind. And, 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 but they had gotten to know some people. So, you know, through that process, they had gotten to know Cincinnati, they had gotten to know uh, central Florida. Um, and, um, and so, you know, they made the, the move to, to bring those uh, particular institutions in, um, you know, 
everybody's asking about Mike Oresco and, and the American, you know, all I know is that an American team went to Notre Dame at Notre Dame last week and, and won. And right now, barring the unthinkable, I think Cincinnati will make the college football playoff this year. Um, I think, you know, you've got number one and number two are going to play in the SEC championship. Uh, this week, number three and number four play at Iowa. Um, and so we're, we're just, you know, going to eliminate people. Cincinnati's sitting in a really good place to get in there. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen. You remember it, it, last week, uh, Resco, it looked like they were going to go get Boise and uh, and uh, Air Force and a bunch of teams out of the Mountain West, and then they all elected to stay. And now you're here in the Mountain West says, okay, I'm going to come get your guys. I mean, it's uh, the sad thing is that it has really hurt the trust factor. A lot of my good friends are no longer speaking to one another. Um, you know, people that have played and worked together and and fought a lot of wars together are, are just their heart. Their, their feelings are hurt. They, they didn't see it coming. And uh, that's not good for the ecosystem to solve problems and uh, make college sports great. I need to get all the smart people in the room and kind of being able to talk things out. But, you know, your guess is as good as mine. Um, two months ago, I would have told you we were heading to four super conferences of 16 teams each. That hasn't happened so far. That doesn't mean it won't happen. Um, but, but that hasn't happened. And part of it is, I think schools are saying, wait a minute, if I'm going to add two more schools, I got to cut the pie, two more pieces. And there's only so much money and I don't want to give up. If I can't, if I can't grow the revenues, then you remember that the SEC had just done a deal with ESPN that ESPN was going to take over the CBS rights and they had an influx of a bunch of money that made it easier for the other schools and the SEC to welcome Texas and Oklahoma because there was a there was new money coming and they weren't having to divide up the old money. So, you know, it's it's a math equation a lot of times about who's going to do what to whom. I do believe that one of the things the pandemic proved was just damn how expensive it was to travel for the non-revenue producing sports. I could see an era where you may have a football conference that looks different than a conference for the rest of your sports, that the rest of your sports, you're going to get on buses. I thought it was intriguing that uh, uh, Cincinnati, that they, they bust home from Notre Dame. Well, it makes sense. I mean, it, you know, by the time you take the bus to Chicago and fly to Cincinnati, I mean, you could have been home. They bust, but I think you're going to see more baseball teams and track teams and golf teams and, tennis teams, you know, staying off airplanes and getting on buses, 15 passenger vans and, and traveling, you know, close. So let's take the Raging Cajuns. It makes sense in football, may even make sense in men's basketball, but does it really make sense? And it makes sense maybe in baseball, but does it make sense in track or soccer? I mean, in soccer, should you be playing Nichols and Monroe and Tech and Tulane? And because it just makes more sense. And so I think you, you may see some change in that that you may have conferences in certain sports different than in every other sport. It's, it's kind of like the WAC. Um, when the WAC used to be a big football conference, now it's a non-football conference, and geographically it actually works. I think what, what's intriguing to me is that when, when, when the American, when the rumors were going around that the American was going after 
Colorado State and Air Force. I just I just look back to when like a school like Louisiana Tech was in the whack when they had to go to Hawaii, when they had to go to Fresno, California, when they had to go to, um, I don't know, San Diego or wherever. No, it's not San Diego at the time. I think in the, um, they had to go Nevada, Nevada. They had to go to Reno. And it just makes me wonder even today. And I think I've asked you this before, but I guess the logic of picking teams now, you know, if you're going to go pick a team halfway across the country, part of the reason why some of these conferences disbanded was due to the fact that the travel expenses really dipped into the athletic budgets. It just kind of makes me wonder why are they going back, trying to go back to that formula and how do they expect it to work this time if it didn't work the last time? Uh, I've always said that if I were ever the president of the United States, I would add a cabinet member and that cabinet member would be a historian because we keep making the same damn mistakes over and over again. And the same thing happens in college athletics. That story that you just told, it's almost like they've sprayed themselves with forgetfulness. Um, you know, it's we're going to do it differently this time. Well, I think we can learn from that. I think geography is going to be very, very important. But, but also, I'm going to go back to fans. I think Texas and A&M fans hate one another, but they love playing one another. I think... I think Duke fans hated Maryland basketball fans, but they love playing one another. I think Kansas fans hated Mizzou fans, but they love playing one another. We need to go back to making sure we're giving games that people want to see. You know, one of the things that I found at Lafayette that was a weakness, I've talked about all your strengths. I didn't know who your rival was. We still, I mean, don't, I really we still don't, don't know, know who, who our rival is. is. Huh? We still don't know who uh, our rival is. Well, I'll tell you who your rival is. It's LSU and Baton Rouge. You just haven't accepted it yet. Um, and, 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 and that's what Louisville did. They ultimately said our, our rivals were not Western Kentucky. Our rivals were not Southern Illinois. Our rivals, UK. Now, they wouldn't play them until the legislators made them. Virginia wouldn't play Virginia Tech. So Virginia Tech elected enough Virginia Tech graduates into the state legislator. Then they made them. Okay. They'll come a day. They'll come a day. And um and 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 that'll be your big rival. You know, again, I would love to see in the American. Uh, I think Memphis could be a great rival. They have music, they have heritage, there's just some connectivity between the two cultures. You'd play Tulane every year. I hell I'd play it in neutral site. I'd play it in the Superdome every year. I'd play it as the last game of the year in the Superdome and have a hell party. Um, now I don't know that Tulane will let you, you know, let you in because I think they have Lafayette envy, um, as a private school maybe does, but I just think that could be really, really interesting, um, in a way that I, I think could just be very, very compelling. Um, but, but, you know, the great, great schools have great, great rivalries. Um, and, and look, Game days at Texas this week at the Cotton Bowl for Texas, Oklahoma, even though Texas already lost one um, because it's such a great rivalry and such a great atmosphere. I think a good example, another example from a mid-major standpoint would be Louisiana Tech. Uh, they used to be, well, I don't, we were both independents and we played every year and then Tech went off to the WAC. Then they went to Conference USA and we really haven't played since. But, you know, there's been speculation lately with this conference realignment rumor stuff that, 
you know, uh, as much as, because, you know, what part of the thing about being in the Sun Belt is we've heard rumors of Conference USA, some Conference USA schools being interested in joining the Sun Belt. And so we think that uh, Louisiana Tech is a little too arrogant for it, but as much as we hate to admit it, it actually would be a great rivalry. Uh, I, oh, there's I, I no wanna, question. There's I want to no wash my mouth out with soap for saying that, but it's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just think, you know, if Coke didn't have Pepsi, they would make them up. Everybody needs a rival. It makes you better. It, it, it you know, it, it's just, you know, conversations, 364 days a year, bragging rights, all those kinds of things that I think are part of the innate joy of college athletics. Um, you know, at the same time, I think, um, uh, you, you know, where you, where you are today is just be the best Sunbelt team you can be. I'm watching Coastal Carolina in my state. Um, I mean, Jamie Chadwell is one hell of a football coach. Um, and they came out of nowhere. I mean, literally out of nowhere. Um, now they got a great shot in the arm. They had a president that took a chance on a guy that was a billionaire. And remember their head coach had formed, um, uh, what, what, what was the company out in Omaha that he owned that was in the investment business. Um, Wasn't the TD Ameritrade or something TD like that? TD Ameritrade, right. Yeah. And so he then became a graduate assistant at Nebraska and ultimately they took a chance on him. And, you know, and so he, he not only brought his talent, he brought his money and they were able to upgrade facilities and do a lot of things. You know, Appalachian State's done a tremendous job. But look, if I was comparing you guys to App State or Coastal, no disrespect for App State and Coastal, but shit, they're hard to get to. Um, you know, they're kind of in the middle of nowhere and, um, y'all are easy to get to, um, you know, you're on the intersection of a bunch of interstate highways and, um, and so I just think there's some, some pluses that y'all have, but, you know, going back to, you know, we got Cincinnati, what, what are they five or six in the country right now? And coastal's what 15. Um, and so, you know, it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens. I, I'm a big, you know, again, my my um, my partner here, Rob Temple, he wrote the architecture for the original CFP, and it was not four teams; it was nine. It was a it was an eight nine play in game the same Saturday of the Army Navy game, uh, prime time eight nine last year with the Liberty Coastal Halloween game. The winner with it had to go to Alabama, so you would have had four home field hosted games in the first round and you might get killed. But in America, we like everybody to have a shot. You just like to have a shot. You know, you might get your butt kicked, but I, I had a shot. And just uh, want a seat at the table is all we've been asking. I just, I just, you're right. And look now, Condoleezza Rice, who's one of my heroes who served on the original BCS committee, you know, makes it clear she doesn't think there are 12 teams that can win a national championship. Hell, we, we've had bad semifinal games the last years. I mean, we've had 35-point semifinal games, bad games. But so what? Everybody likes the underdog. Everybody likes shot. You know, what makes March Madness so great? First Friday, first Thursday and Friday. David beats Goliath. David rarely gets to the Final Four. It kind of goes chalk late. But that first weekend... Anybody's got a shot. And uh, you remember the year Boise beat Oklahoma in the 
Fiesta Bowl when they ran the oh, flea flicker. Still, I mean, still one of the yeah. greatest college football games I've ever watched. Yeah, and so you know, can that happen again? I don't know, but we won't know till we play. So I hope they go to twelve because then I think so, then I say stay in the Sun Belt, be the best Sun Belt team you can. And if you run the table in the Sun Belt, you got a shot at being one of the twelve. That'd be kind of cool. Rick, couldn't I argue, though, if they expand to 12? I mean, let's be honest. A lot of these kids go to Bama and Clemson because they think that that's how they're going to win a national championship. If you get Cincinnati's up there and you get Coastal's up there and you get, hell, a Louisiana up there, doesn't it kind of help to dilute the field and put major players and in, in maybe non-traditional power programs and they have an opportunity to maybe win a national championship? you think that helps? Well, you know, I'll tell you a funny story. John Calipari, who's a friend of mine at Kentucky, he, he had a freshman come to him after his freshman year and say, Coach, should I go to the NBA? And, and John said, uh, if you want to help your family, you need to go to the NBA. If you want to help my family, you need to stay. <laughs> okay. So, you know, I can argue if you want the powerhouses to stay the same and be powerhouses, then they don't want that to happen. Um, I know Alabama's on top of the mountain right now. We'll see what happens when Nick retires. He's unique. There was a lot of down years between Coach Bryant and Coach Saban. No doubt. Alabama. No doubt. And so, oh, yeah. listen, I'm watching, a guy, I'm watching a guy that I have tremendous respect for, Dabo Sweeney. They're terrible this year. Clemson's terrible. And um, it could happen just that quickly. You know, part of it, it's going to be who manages the transfer portal better. Um, I think it's going to kill college basketball more than college football. I, I've got a good friend, Tubby Smith, at, um, and he's back at his alma mater in High Point, High Point College, after, you know, a, a career at Kentucky and Georgia and Minnesota and Texas Tech, Memphis. He had two great kids coming back. He thought he really had a chance to win his conference and get to the tournament this year. And they both transferred. They're both playing in the Big East. Uh, so watch, you know, w- would Steph Curry ever have finished at Davidson? Uh, I don't think no. so. No. So we're going to, we're going to miss those stories, are we? You know, we're going to miss those stories. Uh, it's just going to, the big boys are going to get stronger and stronger, but I still think in America, just, I just want a shot. Just, you know, even in Dumb and Dumber, remember when the, you said, you know, you got a one, you know, you, you got one in a million. He goes, you mean there's a chance? I mean, is, is, is there is there a chance? You know, is there is there a chance? You see, Rick, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you brought up that quote. I remember vividly uh, just a couple of years ago. It was, it was Napier's. It was Napier's first year or second year. Uh, we played Alabama. And I remember you pull up the ESPN app on your phone, and right before the game starts, it has a little matchup predictor. And it said that Louisiana had a 0.1% chance to win. And so I screenshotted and I posted it to my Twitter, and, and I posted a GIF of, of Dumb and Dumber, and I was like, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and look, football's not basketball. I mean, it, you know, it's a different sport. It takes different – resources to be successful long-term, you know, it's, you know, coach Bryant, even way, way back, you know, they asked him why he was so successful. And he's, what's the key to his success? 
he said, it's, it's not hard. Just get off the bus with the best players. Um, and that hadn't changed. Um, but yet, but yet, you know, I would have loved to have seen the winner of Liberty Coastal. In this case, it was Liberty go to Alabama last year. You freeze going to Alabama. They'd have probably gotten trounced, but it would have been, it would have been dramatic. Been must see TV. And all it takes uh, is one upset that you totally change the landscape of that entire, the way that people look at that program, uh, that, uh, that playoff system. All you yeah. need is one. Yeah. And it, 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 it may not happen now because of the transfer portal, because this, the big boys are going to just get bigger. I mean, I looked at Georgia that they, they had three weaknesses last year. They, they went out and recruited the three weaknesses and they weren't freshmen. They were, they were other people. Um, Alabama had a weakness at linebacker. He's got two transfer linebackers. Um, so it's interesting. I, you know, I'll, I'll close with this. Um, I don't want to sound like a fossil because I am an old man, but sometimes I wonder if the best days of college athletics are behind us and not ahead of us. Um, Merle Haggard wrote a song uh, back in the 70s that the tagline went, are the good times really over for good? And um, I hope the good times are not over for good. I hope people like y'all will stay involved and will make sure that this uniquely American institution that we love, intercollegiate athletics, it doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. It only happens here. It's special and it deserves to be protected and nurtured and, and, and we need to grow it and water it and, and look after it. Um, and that's where I hope that people that have hard feelings because they got lied to and they got left at the altar and, you know, they got divorced. Um, I hope they'll realize that the institution is bigger than the, the sum of the parts. No and question. Bigger than any of the individual parts. And I hope people will, uh, will be thoughtful. And, you know, you asked me about expansion. I hope people are going to be thoughtful. Um, in what they do and, and let's don't, you know, let's, let's, let's don't be the guy that has the goose that laid the golden egg and we get so greedy. We cut him open to get the eggs out, uh, you know, <laughs> kill the goose. Um, let's don't kill the goose. Rick, before we let you go, uh, and thank you so much for spending time with us here at Rage and Review. We're very excited to talk about these topics because they're very important topics in college athletics that the ordinary fan doesn't really pay attention to, but it's a huge factor in how or what moves your program forward. So with that being said, uh, as far as UL, um, we talked about conference realignment. We talked about the importance of the TV markets. Would you say where UL is right now with everything going on in conference um, with certain teams being talked about being added here or there, what, what does the future hold for the university of Louisiana athletics uh, as far as conference? Would you say the Sunbelt's a good place right now? Would you think the American should be a goal? Should they strive for the, for even higher, maybe the big 12? I don't know. What, what would you say in the current situation where, where UL should be? Well, a good place to start is win your conference, you know, win where you are. I mean, you, you know, I mean, and, and maybe win it four or five years in a row. Um, you know, the, the school I feel sorry for right now is Liberty. Um, ain't nobody going to let Liberty in because uh, they'll beat your brains out. Why? They got more money than God. I mean, they got they got all the Baptist money. I mean, our joke, our joke here is that they have God's money. 
Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, would you let them in the Sun Belt with the budget they got? I mean, it's it's not fair. I mean, it's just not yeah. fair. But but I think you got to be the best you can be in your own conference. But secondly, I think if you have a dream to be bigger, then then chase that dream. And again, remember, Louisville did not go from the Missouri Valley to the ACC. They went from the Missouri Valley to the Metro, to the Big East, to the ACC. It's a journey. Aspirationally, could you one day play in a, a Big 12? Hell, the Big 12 may not be there. Maybe something else. I don't know. Um, but again, I, I, I think um, I think you need to be the best you can be every day, attract the best teams to come to Lafayette. Remember, Bobby Bowden built the Florida State program, and they were an independent. Remember that, too. They were an independent that then went to the Metro, to the ACC. And Bobby Bowden built that program by playing anybody, anywhere, anytime. And, you know, I think, you you know, you got to be smart. You can't go get your brains beat out every year. But, it'd be you know, you went to Iowa State and won, and they won the Big 12. Um, had a shot this year at Texas. Um, you know, he caught Sarkeesian on the bad week. It was his first game. You know, he, he he had a month to get ready for you, and he didn't take you lightly. If you'd gotten him the second game, I think Arkansas did. Um, you know, he didn't have. He had a week to prepare for Arkansas. It's a little different in in, in when you you know your schedule and when you play people. Um, but I would you know aspirationally, I I don't know. You know, it, it depends on what does your president want, what does the the state legislators want, what is your sponsors want? What does your fan base want? And ultimately you get in alignment and you figure out where you want to go. Rick Jones has been our guest. Rick, we, we appreciate you taking the time. Um, I, I know I sure learned a hell of a lot um, about the ins and outs of the marketing side of, of collegiate athletics. So we appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to educate us a little bit and spend some time with us. Like I said, we really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. And I look forward to seeing you the next time I get to come down and eat a little gumbo in Lafayette. Yeah, no question about it. That's going to do fun, it, Rick. Thanks for doing it, man. That's going to do it for this don't edition. Be... Jerry, you saying something? I was going to say, Rick, don't be a stranger. Come back soon. I'll be good. That's going to do it for this episode of Rage Interview. Don't go anywhere. Sponsors are right after this. Chris Russo of Russo Exploration encourages you to donate to the Raging Cajun Athletic Foundation. The RCAF, the official fundraising arm of Louisiana Athletics, supports over 400 student-athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337-851-RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax-deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of 
of every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white. Go Cajuns! Schilling Distributing Company, Acadiana's top alcohol distributor for over 70 years, has been a proud supporter of Louisiana athletics for many of those years. Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. This is just another chapter in Schilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Schilling services over 1,500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area, employing 160 Ragin' Cajun residents, and they boast over 1,400 years of combined experience. Corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street, Schilling Distributing encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app today. Acadiana business owners, are you looking for custom solutions from local professionals that understand your business needs? Maybe you're looking to streamline your processes, become more efficient, and achieve elevated peace of mind? Utilizing and combined 30 years of experience in the financial and technology fields, the Vaulted Security Team is ready to assist you with reaching your goals. From credit card processing, internet and phone services, website hosting and design, to hosted cloud, even digital marketing and recovery software, Vaulted Security can do it all. Here's a message from Solutions Specialist, Anna Bourgeois. Hi, I'm Anna Bourgeois, your Solutions Specialist, and it's my goal to understand how we can make your business run more efficiently while increasing profits. I'm very passionate about doing business genuinely. In the merchant services industry and other business areas, it's hard to find a partner that you can trust without question. I'm here to change that perception. Give me a chance to show you what true partnership is all about. Contact Anna today at 337-210-4272 or email Anna at Vaulted Security. Dot com. 